you have to navigate and make good decisions for your for your organization and the metaverse can be a really good bet welcome to manufacturing happy hour the podcast where we get real about the latest trends and technologies impacting modern manufacturers manufacturing happy hour each week we interview industry experts that are at the top of their craft and give you the tools, tactics and strategies you need to take your career and your business to the next level. And now your host, Chris Lukey. Hey, what's up? It's episode 121. This week, we're talking about the metaverse, medtech and the ethics of emergent technology. Our guest this week is Christopher Lafayette, an emergent technologist and founder of Gatherverse, a global ecosystem where communities gather, discuss, and share human-centered approaches to the metaverse. Now, while the metaverse is a relatively new concept for most of us, Christopher has been working on this space and in virtual reality for a while. I'll say it up front that this is a meaty episode. We discuss the metaverse's role in manufacturing, but we deep dive in some other areas as well. I mean, you can almost think of this episode as a few mini keynotes tied into one, and Christopher and I do our best to weave these concepts together with summaries along the way. Now that I've given you a little prep, here are three things you can expect from this episode. First, we start off with Christopher's background in emergent tech, and we'll provide some thorough baseline information on the metaverse and what it means for manufacturing. Second, in our next mini keynote, we get into some specifics and talk about the metaverse's role in the med tech space. This part really helped me better understand the metaverse and like the practical roles of the metaverse in our industry, and I hope you pull that from this part of the conversation as well. Finally, we talk about inclusion in tech and why it's so important to the creation of the metaverse. One more thing up front. I know there are a lot of people out there that are skeptical about the metaverse, Web3, all of these new things, but I'd encourage you to stick with us today. I wouldn't really say this is a spoiler, but know that the metaverse is not just about creating like a virtual reality avatar, but more related to things like design, digital twins, and other concepts of manufacturing that you're probably more comfortable with and have a grasp on today. Anyway, if you want to learn more, and I think you will, as always, we have some great resources over at the show notes page. You can get there by going to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 121. One last thing before we dive in. Christopher is going to be one of the keynote speakers at ATX West coming up here in February 2023. This is the West Coast Automation Show, and really, it's the first automation show to set the tone for the year ahead. It's taking place February 7th through 9th in Anaheim, California, and it includes the trade show, keynotes from folks like Christopher, it's got booth crawls, beer gardens, as well as the online smart event where you can start making meaningful connections with other industry leaders in advance of the live event. I had a blast here last year in 2022, and no doubt ATX West 2023 is going to deliver another great experience. It's the epicenter of robotics and smart manufacturing technology and a great way to kick off the new year. To learn more and sign up, head to manufacturinghappyhour.com slash ATXWest to register today. Okay, so let's get going. We're going to dive straight into Christopher's background and hear what it's like being an emergent technologist. All right, Christopher, it's good to have you here on Manufacturing Happy Hour. And my first question is around your title that I see. You know, this is Manufacturing Happy Hour, and you're an emergent technologist. If you're having a conversation with someone over a drink, how do you describe what an emergent technologist does? 
Well, Chris, I'm happy to be here with you and to be able to join you for this incredible podcast. Uh, certainly, this is something that I believe is really leading um, the front when we talk about manufacturing and how apropos for these particular times. How I became an emerging technologist is because what I've noticed, especially as of late, is there's a tempo that's been happening, an up-tempo in technology. And there was a senator that said a time ago, he said in a debate, and I won't name the senator, but it was very appropriate. He said, the United States government compared to Silicon Valley, Silicon Valley is more advanced in technology than the United States government. And you can put whatever technology help you want. You make a Silicon Beach, Silicon Prairie, Silicon Forest, Silicon Alley. And it's a very true statement. But as we continue to move along and move forward, when we think about technology, uh, it's a rather ubiquitous uh, term, if you will, we've now come to a place where, as I've made the statement as of late in, in, in 2021 into 2022, what happens when the technology becomes more advanced than a technologist? And so when we think about technology as a whole, when I came to Silicon Valley, I was raised by a technologist um, who attended and worked for um, UC Berkeley as an admin IT. And when you come from that world, um, it, it, it helps shape and mold the product that you'll become, uh, potentially. And when I came to Silicon Valley, I found myself learning from here in the Valley, we have a heritage of technologists. This, this is what, this is what we have here. If I go to Europe, I may find a heritage of tourism and hospitality that goes and spans into ages or our craftsmanship of of, of, of leather goods and, and different or food artistry. Um, when you come to Silicon Valley, our, our, our heritage is technology. Eh? It's amazing. I was in Brussels um, a few years back and um, HP was one of the sponsors there. And I saw that it was like our 80th anniversary. And you think about that, we're almost a century into our first major technology companies that have established and, and, and put their flags on the ground, if you will. I said all that to say is that Technology itself abides within the greater eco-habitat. And when this in, within this eco-habitat, you'll find artificial intelligence. And let's say that's flanked by machine learning and deep learning and uh, smart assistants and chatbots and neural networks, so forth and so on. And then over here, you may find, let's say, extended reality, XR acronym. And it'll be flanked by virtual reality and augmented reality, mixed reality, haptics, physio-haptics, so forth and so on. We may find robotics, let's say, androids and max fintech. Maybe we'll see a blockchain layer one, layer two, and and web three, if you will, emerging from this uh, amalgam, if you will, and it'll see uh, decentralization and DeFi, DAOs, DApps, crypto assets, NFTs, so forth and so on. So all these technologies abide within the greater eco habitat. But what happens when these technologies begin to grow and scale as they are? They're not new; they're they're scaling, and they begin to pair together. This is what leads us into Really, truly, what we're seeing is the true fundamental construct of the smart city, if you will, which in turn, we do not know what happens when we pair certain technologies together, as this has been happening um, for ages, if you will. But when you pair these technologies together, that's what leads us into true te technological convergence. And what I've realized by finding myself in a land where most or many are taught by osmosis. What I've come to find out is that there's so many different technologies 
And on a morphous scale, we really don't know what to expect. Some may label it as a futurist. I, to some degree, denounce that, frankly. I've been open about this uh, because, look, let's look at it. A future, a lot of futurists, um, their foundation is laid upon disruptive technology, disruptive cycles, even garner hype cycles, say peak of inflated interest, profit disillusionment, slope of alignment, plateau of creativity, if you will. But Good technology is superseded by great technology, and great technology is superseded by even better technologies, which we, we commonly refer to globally as disrupt. But what happens when the greatest disruptor contemporary our time hasn't been technology? Because the greatest disruptor our time has been the pandemic. And we've now become more virtual in the past 33 months than we had the past 33 years. And so as a consequence of that, when we think about the prolific rise of crypto assets and NFTs, which aren't new. NFTs date all the way back to 2011, if you will, uh, BitDNS, uh, Counterparty, Color Coins, and 2015, um, uh, Ethereum. Saying all that to say is that when we look at the emergence of these technologies that are really, really on a stratospheric ascendancy, like anything we've ever seen before, we've never seen this before. We've never seen this type of engagement of artificial intelligence. We've never seen chatbots and smart assistants with such a prolific rise, with such profound ingenuity, rise like this with these type of AI models that are on the scene present today, filling the new cycles, the tempo is raised. And so I saw the opportunity and I couldn't call myself just a technologist. And I couldn't put myself in one specific bracket because I've been studying technology for many, many years, including that which medical technology and other different verticals within uh, to see the, the ecosystem, if you will. And so I thought it was fitting to call myself an emerging technologist and someone that studies emerging technology, technologies and applied sciences and really help to make sense of it uh, as it continues to grow as we as it is presently. So you've really been around this in some sense your whole life. And there are a lot of different parts about emergent technology we could talk about, but I know one of your areas of focus is the metaverse. And I've got a very basic question around this really for our manufacturing audience. So let's say we are at a cafe or a bar having that drink. When someone asks you, hey, I, I work in manufacturing, why should I care about the metaverse? What would be your answer to that? First, I ask them, do they know what the metaverse is, which is a fair question, because I think nowadays we tend to think that people understand technology like we ourselves. And Chris, you'll have a different level of understanding of technology that I may not even appreciate and, and, and vice versa, if you will. And so we will ask them, you know, I like to ask people, you know, one thing I was taught is I, I try not to talk over people and, and, and assume that they understand what I'm talking about. And I think what happens in the technology world, we tend to talk to each other and we kind of use this, you know, familiar phrasing that's uh, colloquial or non-colloquial. And, and we soon understand it. But if I'm approaching someone in a bar, I first ask her or him, as I say, well, do you know, are you familiar with the metaverse? And if they say no, I'll say, well, in a nutshell, in a sentence, if I, if you will, the metaverse is a virtual ecosystem of interaction and communication. And what I would say under the banner of manufacturing, that manufacturing is one of the very few verticals that will be the most impacted by the metaverse in early stage and late stage and all through uh, its progression. Uh, manufacturing, when we think about uh, product delivery, we think about 
we think about the the pipeline from one end to the other. We think about the different teams that make up this pipeline. We think about all the different materials and assets that you're building this product for delivery. You know, whether you're dealing with natural resources, it's a cement, or you're building polymer composites. You know, when we start talking about the deep seated understanding, and this is why I think this podcast is so relevant, because when you think about manufacturing, you tend to only think about, you don't think about manufacturing, you think about a product that's been delivered or something that's been in a development stage or prototypical stage. But you never really think about the whole appreciation for the gravity of manufacturing itself on a rudimentary level. And each of these different each of these different platforms or different technologies in the ecosystem, to some degree, um, will be touched by manufacturing. But that's a whole different story altogether. But especially to your point about the metaverse, the metaverse is the game changer for manufacturing. I have zero doubts about it. it, it it's, it's almost as if saying that our attention with the technologies that we see today, they're all clearly in their infancy, not just in terms of adoption. In, in traction, if you will, but they're in they're in the infancy of the original intent natively of what our predecessors would have us to do with this technology in the first place. Uh, so manufacturing from the metaverse um, lens is going to become more intangible. So I, I guess a question I have then is uh, you, you've talked in the past about leaps in technology, right? Where we take big strides ahead and the internet, I think is a perfect example. I think there are a lot of manufacturers and quite frankly, many people in general that were skeptical about purchasing and transacting on the internet, right? And that is now the norm, not only in our everyday lives, but in the industrial manufacturing world as well. So I'm, I'm curious, how do you approach, let's say a, a skeptic on this topic that's like, oh, well, this, you know, metaverse, that's all Web3 NFTs. It doesn't have anything to do with manufacturing. What's what's kind of the right way to bring that person into the conversation to at least say, okay, this is something that I should think about? Organically. It's always going to happen organically. Um, the risk goes and the reward of risk goes to the early adopters. We know that um, fundamentally for anything that we may find ourselves adopting. That's first entry or very early entry, if you will, into markets. And it's funny. I remember a time, ago, a long, long, long time ago. I was, I, I was in the when I really first got my start as an entrepreneur. You know, maybe almost fifteen years ago, if you will. Um, it was a lot in the music industry, and I found myself working a lot in the restaurant industry with chefs. And and when we saw the rise of social media, if you will, and the Emergence within that ecosystem of social with social media marketing, for example. And I remember talking to a person that had a bakery uh, in Berkeley for, I don't know, Berkeley, California for about maybe 30 years, a very well-known baker. I said, you know, you may want to start thinking about how people find you nowadays, you know, how people come discover you since we live in such a very transient uh, Bay Area, if you will, people come and go. And so they're getting familiar with what's around and I told her, you're going to need social media marketing because if you don't, your competitors will. And I remember telling him, well, thanks for us, but I don't think we've been around for all these years. And, and, and I told him, I almost practically begged him, I remember, but he was generous in letting me express this to them. And, um, 
unfortunately, I would say some some months later, they were out of business. And because they weren't discoverable to the new medium that was available and that consumers made a decision on how they want to be able to find their local bakery for consumption. So when we look at the metaverse, there's going to be skeptics, naturally so, I steel, sharpen steel, if you will. The skeptics should be out there, um, If I think, more than just saber-rattling and saying, hey, you know, this is a really big deal, especially if those skeptics are governed with fiduciary responsibility. They have all different types of commitments that they have in their organizations, and they're making financial decisions, uh, big or small. And they should be skeptical because the reality is increased you know, there's just as well as I do that there's been a lot of technology that had the promises of a better day tomorrow that found itself um, serving the benefit of a rock in a garden. It didn't grow. Um, and it wasn't as, as uh, it didn't leave, live up to its expectations. You know, we have really good salesmanship um, that are selling products often that just really just don't really do well for the platform itself. And so I think that's a natural ingredient to a delicious pie is the critic. And but what I will say this too is that for the metaverse, I wouldn't bet it against it at all. You know, people will look at let's say Meta is investing you know ten billion dollars per annum, and they're saying, well, we looked at some of their avatars or their development. I'm saying everything that you see on the market in the consuming market right now, if you think that Meta spent that type of money on what you're seeing, then you've got another thing coming to you. The ten billion dollars is mostly dedicated towards uh, R and D. And there's some things that they're building and that they're making within their organization uh, that is, it's quite frankly, to some degree haunting. <laughs> it's it's very powerful tech that I think the average, your average consumer is not expecting to see themselves in this way um, in bodily presence and hyper-realistic immersive simulated environments. And so to the organic play of the metaverse and to the skeptic, I would say now is the best time to invest in it because you'll have the opportunity while it's still ascending on a level that is really being defined to contribute your influence in those that are building these tools and technologies because there are different people within industries that are influencing the direction to some degree on what the technologist and designer uh, and the producer, if you will, what she or he is building when it comes to technology. And so having that cultural buy-in um, is really important. And you know, we saw a lot of skeptics when it came to, um, let's say, uh, uh, music players and MP3 players until man by the name of Stephen Jobs went in there and, and gave him, I think, a cultural piece for people to really buy into and it made it make sense for the average user culturally accepting and available and identifiable. And we saw what happened with that, that many of these technology companies have delivered great products that were met with incredible amount of skeptics. And I'd like to see a reduction in that, frankly, but we, as those that build the metaverse and Web3, if you will, I think are governed with the responsibility to be honest to the markets and say, this is what the product actually is versus what it isn't, um, which unfortunately, we've seen great investment go into platforms that have suffered big loss, uh, such as Magically, you know, the biggest funded startup in the world that's ever happened over $6 billion. 
but a lot of their marketing was CGI, which didn't end up with the final result of the developing product. And I think when we talk about standards, I know at least here in Silicon, you know, we deliver what it is that you put in marketing and, and, and give them the best experience you can um, all the way around. And believe it or not, manufacturing has a lot to do with the success of Silicon and other tech startups and technology hubs in the world from what I see. A couple things you said there that resonated with me. One, you know, I think the iPod example is a perfect example of overcoming the skeptics, right? Thinking about a thousand songs in your pocket seemed ridiculous at the time, right? But obviously that's that's common now. And then you were saying where, hey, the things you're seeing about the metaverse right now, I think of that like let's say pixelated picture of Mark Zuckerberg in 3D in front of the Eiffel Tower, right? If people think that's what we're going for, I, I think that put it into a lot of perspective, right? That's clearly not where things are going to end up, right? It's a step on the way, but people aren't seeing the bigger picture of all the R&D that's taking place in the background. Uh, this leads me to my next question, though. You know, in terms of making this tangible for people, I understand you've talked a bit about this in the context of medical technology development, which is a big part of manufacturing. So, you know, can you share how is medical technology getting developed in the metaverse to maybe help the manufacturing leaders out there envision this a bit more? It's a good question. And medical technology or med tech, if you will, when we think about the metaverse, the one industry that I believe has the greatest impact and not we're not let's not start off with financial because automatically we we almost uh, ingress into entertainment but medical technology has the one that has the biggest global impact on so many different levels chris because it's the one industry that has the most practitioner practitioners number one and two we're dealing with a level that's so inherently intimate to each person in this world when dealing with the human body itself. And the head cavity, chest cavity, lower abdominal cavity, extremities, internal and external anatomics. And the studying of the different nine systems that operate within our vessels and our body. To really intimately understand this, there's been practice and tried and tested methodologies that have been handed down really through the ages and dispensations of time, if you will, in dealing and dressing this body, whether it's for prevent prevention or to fix. And we'll say Western and European way of thinking when it comes to dealing with the human body. And, and some of those are just, we haven't even touched on mental wellness and the expansiveness, dealing with the brain and dealing with the heart, the liver, if you will. And so, the role of manufacturing and the intimacy of it really actually begins on the architectural level. The development of a hospital, of a practice. You know, I spoke to a delegation of architects years ago. I was invited to speak to them about uh, XR, extended reality. And you had folks in there from Kaiser, Kaleida Health, Stanford, and Stanford Medical. And we talked about, at the time, a big part of it was about holodeck development, which ultimately was talking about training. 
surgical theater training, cadaver, digital cadaver training and development and so forth and so on, CPR simulation. And one of the things that I appreciated, although I was asked more questions, I think, in the course of three days after my keynote talk on XR from architects is that when we talk about building the metaverse for the medical sector, we first have to ask ourselves, how does that fit ecologically within the hospital itself, number one? Because we have to start to think about with all that are building med tech right now for the metaverse, that has to be introduced into a very intricate and very frail system that's been developed and refined and fashioned for years. And even though you can say, hey, we're about, we have a platform, because I know so many different XR platforms when it comes to medical technology, a very few have succeeded, many have failed for several different reasons. But I've come to appreciate that when you introduce something into this ecosystem, the med- there is no more complex ecosystem than the medical ecosystem of any industry, given industry in the whole entire world. None. There, there's none that exist. One may say science. Those are so interrelated. You can make a case and argument for that. But there's so much of a theoretical and conceptual approach to the scientific world until it's fact. But when you're dealing with medical, it's much more intimate on so many different levels. And so on the manufacturing level, introducing something to the ecosystem, when it comes to the metaverse, we have to first start to think about the location, the building, the environment. What does the vendor relationship look like with that hospital? You know, there's vendors that have producing hospital floors for 100 years. Because all they do is build hospital floors. There's those that build in car gates and car garage parts, ceilings, beds, the different gadgets that nurses and doctors are using. When we think about the ingress and egress of a hospital, doctors are always met with the challenge that they need more space. I'm going somewhere greatly with this. They need more space in order to be able to operate within their given environment. I remember meeting a surgeon. Uh, I'll give his name, Dr. David Axelrod, a pediatrician, cardiologist in Lucille Packard Children's Hospital on Stanford campus. He invited me to be able to explore the human heart in the cell because uh, he'd been doing that and building a platform in virtuality some years ago. And I asked Dr. David Axelrod, I'd love to come by and, and come see what you're doing. And it was one of the most incredible experiences I've ever experienced in the XR, if you will, the metaverse. But it was done in this little, super tiny, tiny room that he was given. And that's all the allotment he was given. And what I came to find out full circle from the architects is that oftentimes when they build out an environment, it's not met to the actual spec and space of what those that are practicing actually need. And so when we talk about, hey, the arrival of the metaverse is completely ready for the medical industry, not at all, because we haven't even been able to fit the type of manufacturing goods that are already in delivery to make that work within the monocle level of spaces that they're offered in these new established hospitals. And so saying all that to say is that manufacturing on its best given part today 
in relation to the metaverse is that of a digital twin? Is that of training? Is that of collaboration? In the world of manufacturing, if there's a physical product that you make today, it is of great urgency that you prepare to convert yourself to be able to create a virtual product. Because what we're really gearing towards and heading towards is creating hyper-realistic, immersive simulated models of ingress and egress on a performative level when we think about the hospital itself. And your product needs to be present in that virtual hollow situation so that they can develop more abundantly through extended reality what the actual makeup will be in the progress of itself in this particular time that we find ourselves in of a pandemic or a triple pandemic, the last time I just read and heard about RSV, flu, pandemic, how hospitals deal with today's testing, tests that they're confronted with, if you will, frontline workers. And so there's a whole lot of intricacy that's going to play with this. And we'll sort some of this out during this conversation, I suppose, I suspect. Yeah. So I just want to make sure I'm following so far. So when I'm thinking about the medical, I'm sorry, the metaverse in the context of the medical industry, I heard a couple things. One, I think digital twins is a great example, right? That makes sense to our audience. We hear about them quite often. You also talk about the space constraints in a hospital, right? And I feel like what I heard is the metaverse can help bring these two things together a little bit, right? You can start leveraging, let's say, these digital twins of everything that would go in that hospital room. And maybe an application of this, for example, is you make, can you start optimizing what that room looks like? And in terms the things you're manufacturing and how you're manufacturing them, I just want to make sure I'm on the right track. Yes, that's a really good question, and, and you definitely listen intently. Um, and here's why that's needed. Everything that we see in market today could be, frankly, irrelevant in 48 months from now in terms of something that's introduced to the ecosystem. That here, That's introduced to the ecosystem. I say that because we have to start thinking about the metaverse, we tend to think about the metaverse now as from an avatar development in a hyper-real or non-hyper-real simulated environment. That's part of the metaverse. The other part of it is, is holoportation or some may say astral projection or dealing with telepresence. The ability for me to be able to teleport a physician in Costa Rica and she needs to do an emergency operation and she's one of only 10 um, surgeons in the world that can produce emergency operation operating a robotic uh, da Vinci machine. And that person is getting an operation done at NYU. And the da Vinci machine is there. They need to teleport her there so that she can do a surgical um, real time on the sur surgical theater performing a surgery using this machine with gestural interface and point cloud precision. We had to think about the makeup of the surgical theater and all that encompasses that one room. Chris, you know it. We just see a surgeon standing there with some people, but there's a whole vendor. There's a whole company of vendors that represent the theater itself, right? So when we think about that, and we think about the metaverse just purely on training, 
Yeah, it's good that we can get um, metahuman realistic facial constructing and, and getting really close when it comes to body rigging so that we can do CPR simulation. But that's not necessarily what we're specifically gearing towards when it comes to learning. You see, a lot of a lot of people in this space say that things are ready because they can see it. But the metaverse, at the best of its today, is still in its infancy, is still in the womb, and we've just crossed the through. We're in maybe perhaps the, the embryonic stage, and we just developed sight. But the met, that's a single variable equation. The metaverse is a multivariable equation. And in other words, we're dealing with sight, sound, taste, hearing, haptic touch, feedback, and when we're really gearing towards, and I can tell you some of the big budget that's being applied for Meta, Vive, if you will, and then Pico and other different platforms that are out there, what we're really gearing towards is perceptual science and dealing with human factor ergonomic development when it comes to environmental fidelity, contextual fidelity, intentional, unintentional fidelity, and cognitive fidelity. Meaning that whatever I perceive in the surgical theater, in this virtual surgical theater, it needs to be so aligned with hyper-real, almost human eye resolution is preferred. Because I cannot afford to be caught in an environment that's uncanny. I cannot train and execute in an uncanny environment. And I can't learn in an uncanny environment in an uncanny subject because it's not real enough. My perception is immediately reading the room and it's translating cognitively to something that I cannot interpret, to something that's foreign. And it will not allow me to believe this experience that's intended for me to believe when I'm in this environment. And so what makes it so important on the manufacturing level <laughs> is because the manufacturers make up this environment. They're, they're, they're. Their assets, their, this what they build, all of that will be pulled into this digital twin. And it has to operate and function in such a real fashion that it's almost indiscernible to the senses. Will we get near perfect? I could see, I could see near, near perfect five years. I've seen enough to know that near perfect does exist. I've seen it. But as a whole, not yet, but this is the importance to me at a microcosm of the jot and tittle function that manufacturing produces when we start talking about the metaverse and how it supplies what hospitals, not just practitioners, but hospitals itself representing and curing all these practitioners, what hospitals will need. I think that example of the surgical theater ties it together pretty well because you see how all the things a manufacturer make tie in and impact that. But also that example of, hey, if there is a surgeon in Costa Rica or in Europe that is one of 10 that can do a particular procedure, the metaverse becomes this theater that allows that to take place 
and and you described it as like teleporting, right? And at this stage, the other thing that stuck out in that answer was, hey, we're we're at the very beginnings of this, right? We have the site. We can we can visualize avatars and digital twins in the metaverse, right? But smells and all the other things that go into that, that's not there yet. So I think you're painting a really good picture of what the potential is and also why it is where it is today. Because back to the skeptics comment, right? Like, of course, people might be skeptical today if all they're seeing is that Zuckerberg avatar in front of the Eiffel Tower. But when you really put it together in the context of a story like you just did, that's where I see more of the potential and how that impacts manufacturing and how manufacturers impact that as well. I do have a, a couple other questions going going a bit more into the human element of things as well, because I want to understand a bit more about the met, the metaverse in a general context. But before I do that, is there anything else you want to add from a medical standpoint before we switch gears a bit in this conversation? I would say that what we see happening today, the rounds of funding that I see happening for um, the metaverse and startups, if you will, it's been a fascinating experience seeing <clears throat> so many of these different platforms grow before my my very eyes the people that i've known some before they even got started in this space versus some that are being well funded or some that are so heavily in their development uh, and still fashion when it comes to medical wellness um, which really inspired me years ago uh, i was i was invited to italy to launch my private medical immersive um, incubator, hollow practice, which I thought it was appropriate to be able to centralize those that are scientists and wellness practitioners to have a place where they can study and to better understand the world of XR and the metaverse, if you will, when it comes to medical technology, because we needed more of these and it's been amazing to see some of our cohorts and some of the people that have been able to participate with us, some of the things that we get out of it. I have been in technology for many years, and I tell you what, there is, on the, if you pair technology itself with a subject matter, there is no other subject that's more expansive than, um, I'm convinced, than when, it start, when we start to talk about the medical sector, because there's so many different levels to manufacturing, to the study of the physical body itself and the exploration and the expansiveness on a microcosm of the physical body and all that we don't know, but all that we will begin to know once technology allows us to be able to see in different spaces and places and ways that we've never been able to see before. And the importance of the manufacturing is to help support the foundation for all this to happen on. So one thing that's also become clear in this conversation is that the metaverse is still being built. And I think I've heard you say in other conversations that something along the lines of the metaverse will be a product of the people who create it. How do we get more people involved in creating the metaverse? Diverse people, more perspectives, the right people involved, people that have the right knowledge. I mean, this covers a wide range. So how do we get more people involved? Great question, Chris. This time last year, I I authored what is now known as the Seven Standards of the Metaverse, dealing with humanity first uh, initiatives and the humanity first approach to 
the metaverse, which has been widely adopted and 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 uh, in, in a lot of ways well regarded, IEEE and um, other different organizations that have really geared towards the idea of accessibility and education and uh, equality or equity and community development and safety, privacy, and wellness. And I created a, an event surrounding these seven standards of the metaverse. And at the time was really looked at as just uh, my intention was, Hey, let's get 400 people to attend this event, this intimate event with maybe 20 speakers. And well, that changed and it turned out that we were having this event for February of this year. And it became the biggest metaverse based event that's ever happened. We had over 10,000 attendees. Uh, we had over 70% women speakers and that was unintentional from, from my end. And it really kicked off what's now become Gatherverse, um, which is the doorstep to the metaverse itself. And we've had nine major summits, uh, this year and we're kicking off the, the new year of 2023 with even more summits. And our second annual is going to be in February and, you know, the biggest metaverse women's event virtual will happen next month in it will happen in the month of January. And what I've learned because your question is so intimate to me on so many different levels, you know, I have found myself now as an emergent technologist and humanitarian because after hearing hundreds and hundreds of speakers just this year alone through Gatherverse, when we deal in approaching the metaverse and emerging technologies humanely, I've come to appreciate that part of my mission is to bring thousands of communities and millions of people safely into the metaverse humanely. And how we look at diversity, I prefer when we think about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging. To me, let's start this off with cross-cultural communication or multicultural awareness that we all share one planet and there's multiple cultures that inhabit this planet and becoming aware just of that, just that alone appreciation and, and, and the value, if you will, brings us a long way. But if we dare to go further with that, the multicultural awareness globally, then we start to say, how do I communicate with this culture one to the other? Taking away um, color and gender, if you will, even for a moment, and just looking at identifying its culture. It's very abstract, I know. But then there's cross-cultural communication. that we may look the same, but we come from two different worlds of experience. And each of these cultures, if you will, when we deal with cross-cultural communication, allows us an opportunity to go into an intercultural development to better understand these cultures. Now, why is this important? Well, oftentimes we look at the ecosystem as hardware and software. Ecosystem is it hardware or software. Ecosystems are people. And when we build from a monocultural, meaning one perspective, the ecosystem, we're going to have very limited results. But when we build from a polycultural perspective, meaning many of an ecosystem, uh, speaking to the adage that we want to hire the people that we want to buy our products. When we build from a polycultural perspective, the greater ultimately that our product becomes identifiable. Um, if that's our intention, when we go to market for wider adoption, if you will, I think most brands and platforms can benefit and have a desire for wider adoption and expansion. So when we think about diversity, we think about cultural development and awareness. When we think about 
humanity, one of the things that we have to be mindful of is, which is so important, at least from my lens, is that when we think about humanity, we think about it from a perspective of when we think about the rudimentary beginnings of the metaverse and emerging technologies, it starts off in ideation. Maybe Figmillion Spectacles, a novel that was written decades ago. Maybe when we start talking about Roddenberry's version of the metaverse versus Neil Stevenson, who coined the term, the metaverse, as you know. We got Roddenberry, you got Neil Stevenson, but some say, oh, isn't that Ernest Klein's Ready Player One? It's Oasis, the ontological anthropocentric simulation immersive system. Yes and no to all three and to Figmillion Spectacles and to those guys and gals that were building at NASA Ames decades ago before some of us may have been born and thinking about all the different other technologies that have really come and built along the way. Well, the thing is, is this, we've gone from ideative stage to hardware to software in this natural progression, but now it's time for whom we have been ideating and building for in the first place, humanity. And we need to get better cultural input before, and you, you, you're absolutely right. It's it, um, most of the, the, the metaverse is in a lot of ways conceptual. It's, it's, it's still being developed and on a morphous scale. Remember, we talked about technology convergence. We don't completely know what it's ultimately going to render out. With that saying, the caveat, it is good for the time now present. The metaverse is here, but as we know it today, we cannot put that in concrete terms and say this is what it is because we don't completely know what it's going to be. And I will say this, that tempo that we talked about earlier, I have a legitimate concern now, Chris, and I'm going to be informing more of the industry as we move forward the technology industry, I have a legitimate and growing concern about artificial intelligence. I was just asked in front of a huge audience on the spot, you know, in a a fireside uh, in Colorado some weeks ago, if you will, about the real threat of artificial intelligence. And I was very candid in my answer is that when we deal with AI, AI is the one technology that influences every single other technology in the eco-habitat. There is no other more influential technology than artificial intelligence. And what I'm seeing today and what we're seeing today has led me to believe that within the next 12 months, not 24 or 36 months, the next 12 months, we will see AI present itself, if you will, be presented to the world in a way that we never would have saw coming. And here's the rub. We we already knew this was going to happen. We knew this was going to come. We didn't know it was going to happen this early. And so we're still dealing with the byproduct of the implications of moving into a virtual um, um, hybrid world that we live in where remote distributed workforces are living, working from their living room and product delivery teams are working from their bedrooms. We have become virtual and we are now taking advantage of what we've been building. And now that communication has accelerated, Chris, it's not just that we save time in our commute hours. We're communicating. And this is why we're seeing the prolific rise of NFTs or crypto assets, the volatility of these markets, the unsafety, unsecurity of these markets. This is why the metaverse all of a sudden just leaped out into this stage because we're going further. And this is why we'll see platforms like ChatGPT, AI art, mid-journey, 
these are game-changing technologies. And, you know, I was talking, I'll say this and I'll be done with it for a moment, but I was talking to an attorney the other day about a, a number of different things about technology. We just have these conversations and we're talking about the Turing test, you know, how do we, you know, which is the golden standard for artificial intelligence <clears throat> crossing into this sentient level being, if you will. But the question was raised, who set that as a standard Turing? How do we under, who set that standard of the level of the Turing test? When we think about sentient itself, what does that really mean? What do we really say when we talk about sentient? And there's AI that I'm seeing now that really challenges even the notion of the Turing, if you will. I have some people would just maybe roll over and, and pass out hearing me say that. But when I think about AI for what we're seeing now and the way it, the nature of how it's operating, some ways and not in comparison, not even close, because there's no more advanced technology than the human brain, the body itself. It's the most advanced technology on the face of this planet. There's a 10-year study that came out in Europe funded by the European Commission. It was the Human Brain Project. And they said, let's take the human brain and compare that to the fastest computers in the world at the time it was in China. And let's see how one functions. And the computers that mankind builds has nothing in comparison to the human brain capacity whatsoever. However, the computational adjustment and the being able to render out information of what we see happening with some of the models with AI is so compelling. It's not a challenge, if you will, to the human brain, not even close. But it's so compelling because in some ways it seems to mimic and act like one. Wow. So a, a lot of ground covered in that answer. I'm going to go back to one of my first takeaways from that. We were talking about making more tech more inclusive in a lot of ways around that as we shape the metaverse. And I think some of the answers I heard from you were about, you know, just awareness of cultural differences first and then cross communication amongst cultures. And something you said that stuck out was, hey, we we want to build the product for the people that want to we want to consume them. So we need to get the input of all of those different type of people. I think not only does that I feel apply to the metaverse, but any type of innovation we're doing in the tech space in general. And I feel like I heard some maybe maybe just ideas of how you know you mentioned earlier that the pandemic is the most disruptive thing the things one of the things that allows us to accelerate as fast as we have and as such we're seeing ai take leaps and bounds and is it fair to say we're seeing the metaverse take leaps and bounds because of that as well is that also correct yes because technology moves in increment shifts and leaps incrementation would be let's say ios update an android update it doesn't impact entire civilization a shift would be a new hardware, mostly a hardware element that's that's entered into the market, a, a tablet, a desktop, laptop, a phone device, a HMD, a head-mounted display, glasses, an intelligent glass, if you will. But of the increment shifts and leap, the leap, we don't see those too often, Chris, and the internet, uh, web one, web two, web three, uh, industry four, the cloud, the metaverse, uh, blockchain, those are the ones that have the potential or are already disrupting uh, entire civilization as we know of the working world when it comes to technology. And the metaverse is a game change. But AI 
where do we classify that at? You know, because it's so ubiquitous, the terminology, but within the ecohabitat of its uh, uh, ascendancy, of its sub components that make up AI are all heavily potent and the potential is so latent. But this is the thing. It's not like when certain technologies show up there, when it begin when AI shows up, it's so influential to every leap that we've seen in technology itself. And I will quote Elena Zelensky that she said not too long ago, who's the wife of, of Vladimir, of, of, of President Zelensky, excuse me, of Ukraine, that's entrenched in a very terrible war that we see happening in, in the North, if you will, in, in the European continent. And she says technology should be made to help save lives, not kill lives. And it was so powerful to me when I heard that is because I remember years ago attending Hacker Dojo in Silicon Valley, which was my dojo for hackers. And we used to talk about the power of drone technology and Swarm and Hive <clears throat> and DARPA and Department of Defense. They'll probably want this. And it was just conversation. And the way that we see drone technology drone technology used today uh, the lethality is is telling and i can imagine with some of these emerging technologies in the hands of the wrong ones but that means we need to put so we have to think about technology from a point of defense as well and so um frankly you know it, it, i think in, in a lot of ways it's right for our servicemen and women and military to get this technology and, and, and because here in America, United States, if we're not accelerating in technology, then there are those that unfortunately may not do, you know, mean well for the rest of the, the world. Um, and taking these technologies that we're building, whether in silicon or elsewhere and doing things that we don't want to see done with it. So we have to kind of keep up with this. And, and the reality is, is that we're accelerating far more much more quicker than it's than than what I think many of us perceived to be. And so expect within the next twelve months on an AI level in the metaverse to see some game changing narratives that will arise. Yeah. I uh I like how this has evolved into a conversation around, hey, what are let's say the ethics of the metaverse and AI and these new technologies as well. And you know, I know we're coming up here on time for our interview. So I guess a big question to maybe put a bow around this and wrap things up is, you know, let's say I'm someone, I'm a leader in my space. I'm a leader in manufacturing. How should I be paying attention to the metaverse and AI and all these different emergent technologies right now? And hey, at the end of the day, I still got to run my business on a day-to-day -day basis, right? What's the right way to keep, let's say the right level of awareness and education going around this? Two things. One, ethics, absolutely apropos word to use. We, that's the new word that we're adding into the gatherverse, uh, 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 phrasing that we made a decision on with our team, uh, being our eighth standard because it's that important. So a tip of the hat for, um, bringing that, uh, Isabel de Pouruten, who's our European director for gatherverse, uh, really helped pave that way. And 
expressly to the question that I think is so important and central um, towards closing this discussion, this, this fascinating intrigue, if you will, of the discussion we're having in this podcast, Chris, is that I was approached by LinkedIn late last year out of I don't know, all the technologists they could have asked, which there's brilliant technologists that I know, just remarkable. And they asked me, Chris, we want you to, will you define and put together a course? What is the metaverse on LinkedIn learning? Said, sure. So we came together in, in partnership and we filmed it and did everything and came out with, but we wanted no fluff, just stuff. Good information for the time now present. And this course has taken off. It's viral. It's, it's, it's growing strong. I think we have over 16,000 people that have been learning and I've gotten so many tags and messages and, and from all different types of level of industry that you can imagine. I mean, from the banking industry to manufacturing to a number of different places. And so. I said all that to say in part is that one of the things that I think is important is for leadership, different environments to get good sourced information from people that actually know what they're talking about. And there are many times where I say there's so many people that you can go to, but frankly, Chris, there's not. And there's a very few people, I think, on a wide array that would know it like I know it. And this isn't a tout for myself, to be frank, in terms of, let me solicit, I've never been more busy in my whole entire career than I find myself now. But this is to say that if you're going to go, get people that understand, if someone wants to understand something about manufacturing, I think, Chris, you're a key value add to anybody's ecosystem because you hear so many different people talking about manufacturing. You understand intimately, natively, and very up-to-date with what's relevant, what's apropos, what's not. You'd be a good key resource to go to horizontally. So when it comes to the metaverse and me as an emergent technologist, I hear from people all the time, platforms. I see what good decisions have been made and what haven't been made. And, and, and you and I have been around so long, Chris. We've seen companies start and we've seen them end. And so we have a good understanding of what to do and moreover to give to leadership what not to do. And so I would submit to them is to find those who really can offer you good information, understand what you're building and be complementary to what you've already started and what you've been working on for X amount of time. That would be my suggestion. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't shoot down good information at this key point because survivability and um, we'll say in the enterprise, you know, uh, competing world, uh, you have to navigate and make good decisions for your, for your, for your organization. And the metaverse can be a really good bet. Um, but there is risk obviously with any tech technical adoption, but this is the one where I would say, you're right now at the opportunity to lead and to run with it. And if your competitors aren't doing it, I think you'll have a significant advantage if you adopt the metaverse as it is today. It, it's uh, it's interesting that you added, added that you 
led that class for LinkedIn Learning because I knew I'd seen your name come up somewhere before. I'm pretty sure I saw I saw that associated with it. I will have a link to that in the show notes for anyone that does want to learn more. And uh, what's the best place to keep up with you and what you're doing at Gatherverse um, or if people want to connect with you? Sure. Just add me on LinkedIn, Christopher Lafayette, and you can add me uh, on that platform or you can feel free to message direct at chris at christopherlafayette.com. And um, if I don't if I don't get back to you right away, uh, I will do my best to see what I can do to do such. We've just been really busy chopping a lot of wood and we're deep in the forest, Chris, as you can imagine. And yeah, as I know you are. As well. And so and and uh, it gets really it, it picks up. So and, and 2023 is going to be a very interesting year headed in. Well, keep chopping that wood. It's been good chopping wood with you today, having this conversation. Thanks so much for jumping on the show. And uh, I'll make sure to have links to connect with you in the show notes at manufacturinghappyhour.com. Thanks again, Christopher. Thanks, Chris. Hey, thanks for listening. And a big thank you to Christopher again for jumping on today's show. As always, if you want to learn more, you can access all of the information we discussed over at the show notes page at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash 121. I definitely check this out because there's a lot more that Christopher's involved in that we didn't even get to talk about today. I mean, we kind of talked about this in our inclusion discussion, but Christopher is actually the founder of the Black Technology Mentorship Program. He's out there helping folks get on the right career path, find apprenticeships. This mentor-mentee program is just one of the many areas he's involved in. You'll definitely want to connect with him. Plus, I have links to Christopher's Metaverse course on LinkedIn as well. You know, I mentioned this at the start, but Christopher will be talking about the Metaverse more at ATX West 2023, where he's taking an even deeper dive on the Metaverse's impact on MedTech. ATX West is February 7th through 9th, 2023 in Anaheim, California. I had a blast there last year. I'd highly encourage you to attend this year as well. You can start connecting with manufacturing leaders that will be there in advance through their smart event. That's online. And when you get there, you can experience the booth crawls, the beer garden, and of course, the show floor, which will be the epicenter of robotics and smart manufacturing technology. Plus, you don't want to miss Christopher kick off the show with his keynote, Medical Technology Within the Metaverse, The Fundamental Shift. You can learn more and register at manufacturinghappyhour.com slash ATXWest. And thank you, Informa Markets and ATXWest, for sponsoring today's show. And with that, stay innovative, stay thirsty. We'll catch you again next week. Cheers. Thanks for listening to Manufacturing Happy Hour. Powered by the Industrial Network.